Good morning. Y'all can do better than that. Good morning. It's not even the 8.30 service. This is the 10.30 service. Y'all had extra sleep. You had time to get your coffee. Come on. My name is Marcellus. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm really glad to see all your faces. And um, not only am I one of the teaching pastors here, um, but I help um, as an associate pastor at a, at a small church in the inner city. And my wife and I do ministry in our neighborhood there um, near that church. And I'm also uh, a minister to the Kansas City Chiefs as a chaplain. So, but it's really good to see your faces um, every time I'm able to come out here and preach. And I just have a growing affection um, for you all and for your leadership. And uh, it's, just, it's just really good to see you here to worship. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 23, and we're looking at how Jesus spoke to leaders and how Jesus spoke to leaders that were actually using their spiritual leadership to exploit people that were vulnerable. And this is, this is a tough word from, from Jesus today, and yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one, so we're, we're going we're gonna to dive in it together. Uh, for me personally, this is a tough word. And the reason why is because um, I've personally experienced a lot of hurt from spiritual leaders in my life. Um, I have personal wounds from being under... Uh, leadership of people that broke my heart. And I'm assuming that there are many in this room that have experienced similar things. Most of you have seen in the news this week uh, that Tim Keller passed away to be with Jesus. And for those of you who don't know who he is, um, he wrote a book called The Prodigal God. He wrote many other books. And I'm sure that most of your pastors here have read pretty much all the books that Tim Keller has written. He pastored a church in in New York for decades. Um, He stood up for the right things. He was a great husband. He was a great father, grandfather. And many of my friends who are pastors throughout the country on social media have put up Tim Keller's picture. They've talked about his legacy spiritually. They talked about his impact spiritually. And, you know, people are listing things out, husband, father, pastor. He stood up for social justice. He stood up for the right things. But many of my pastor friends and Christian friends from across the country that have commented on Tim Keller have also put things in there like, he was a man without scandal. He had no scandals. He was faithful to his wife. He didn't steal any money. And it's sad that these days we have to say things about that as our leaders. That not only were they a faithful leader in the church, not only did they do what God called them to do, but they didn't have a scandal. Even in my own heart posture, you know, um, I kind of am hesitant to celebrate and honor sometimes because I'm waiting for the foot to drop. You guys might remember a leader, Ravi Zacharias, that 
was so powerful in God's kingdom and, and taught us so much and we learned so much. And many of my friends, again, in the same situation, just like Tim Keller commented, man, this guy impacted me, his books, his preaching, his teaching. And then a few days later, the news drops and the foot drops that there's much scandal. That not only did he sin and did he, did he mess up and make mistakes, but he specifically used a position of power to exploit people that were vulnerable. So in Matthew 23, we actually get to see a side of Jesus that a lot of us ignore. We get to see Jesus angry. We get to see him using harsh words to speak to leaders who were using their power to exploit people who were vulnerable. Many times, like when we think about Jesus, we think about the long flowy hair, like he used Pantene Pro-V, Long European nose, beautiful Jesus hanging up on the wall in our grandmother's kitchen. But this Jesus that we see in Matthew 23 feels different. It's not the one with him with a lamb hoisted up onto his shoulders. It's, It's a Jesus that sometimes we don't grapple with, the anger. God gives us permission to be angry. In Psalm chapter 4, it says, in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say don't be angry, but it says when you are angry, don't sin. There's some things in our world that are worth being angry about. Angry, anger is a powerful emotion that can steer us in the right direction or in the wrong direction. Anger can actually fuel passion for what is broken and to fix it. Anger can actually drive us towards our life goals and our life calling and what God is actually calling us to do. And in Matthew 23, we see Jesus angry when he sees people who are exploiting his people. There's a number of times that that Jesus gets angry. In Matthew 21, it says that Jesus went into the temple and he threw out all of those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Jesus in his anger will come and disrupt false peace. One of my favorite preachers and writers, authors, his name is Pete Scazzaro. And he um, has a podcast and a sermon on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Pete Scazzaro, you might know some of his books, Emotionally Healthy Leader, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Emotionally Healthy Church. And he talks about the marriage of of self-awareness and emotional health married to our relationship with God. And he talks about in Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. But what Pete Scazzaro points out is that many times peacemakers are disruptors. They'll disrupt a false peace to usher in God's real peace. It's the truth tellers, the people that will come to Thanksgiving dinner and tell somebody the truth. They'll come to Christmas celebration and tell somebody the truth. They'll come to a church, and they're not just, peacemakers are not people who are just protecting comfort and the status quo and keeping everything copacetic, but they have a courage and a boldness paired with a gentleness to tell the truth. 
when something's wrong, when something's broken, when somebody's hurting, when an injustice has been done, a true peacemaker will disrupt false peace to usher in God's true peace. In Andy Crouch's book, he wrote a book called Strong and Weak. And he talks about, he has this quadrant in the book. And in the upper part of the quadrant, it says that people who are powerful and who also lack vulnerability often exploit people who have no power and have a lot of vulnerability. So people who are powerful, who don't have much vulnerability, oftentimes are the ones who exploit people who have no power and a lot of vulnerability. Some of you may have been through this. Maybe a pastor when you were young misled you and your family. Maybe they lied to you and your family. Maybe you had a choir director or you were on a worship team and somebody lied about you or somebody hurt you with their words and they had a, pow- they had a position of spiritual authority in your life and they used that position in your weakness to walk all over you. For some of you, maybe it was your parents. For some of you, maybe it was your spouse. For some of you, maybe it was your coach a person that had power and authority in your life and exploited that for their own good and for your own pain. Some of y'all know I have a, I have a boxing gym in the inner city. And our, our boxing gym is a competitive boxing gym, so you have to register everything through USA Boxing. So I'm, I'm a registered USA Boxing coach. One of the things that you go through as a coach is you actually um, have to do a thing called safe sport. And it's where you learn how to protect your athletes, okay? So basically in the sport of boxing, if a coach doesn't, it's it's your responsibility to protect your athlete. If they're tired, dehydrated, haven't eaten, you can't use your position of power to bully your athlete and be like, well, you got to stay in the ring and you got to get in. If If they get knocked out and they get hurt, that's on the coach. We have doctors at the fights. They check their eyeballs. They do physicals before the fights, after the fights. They have to get physical exams. But one of the things as a part of safe sport when you're becoming a coach is you have to protect your athletes emotionally and physically as well. And they explain the power dynamics of how much a a coach has the trust of these young athletes and that you can't physically or emotionally exploit the power that you have in that relationship. Because as we know from the news, that's where a lot of people experience trauma and abuse. Because of the power dynamic of somebody who has a lot of power, who has very little vulnerability, and can exploit somebody else who doesn't have power and has lots of vulnerability. Jesus has a lot of words for people in that situation. Where there's no justice, there is no peace. Where there is exploitation, There is no peace. There is no shalom. The kingdom of God is not present when people are being exploited. To sum up Matthew 23, I look at verse verse 23 in chapter 23, where Jesus says to these leaders, these spiritual leaders, these leaders that are exploiting people, he says to them, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He's saying to these leaders, you wear all the right things, you say all the right things, you do all the right things, but you are neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
So this is essentially a quick lesson on how to make Jesus angry. If you really, if you want to make Jesus angry, read Matthew 23 and you can find your way there really quickly. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verses four through six. It says, these are Jesus' words. He says, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives this example of like, hey, if you can lay down your power so much so that you are like a child, you are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When you actually make yourself vulnerable, when you actually get low enough to serve others, when you have faith like a child and a life like a child, where you take your power and lay it down for the good of somebody else, you're greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then listen to Jesus's harder words beginning in verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are Jesus' words. To enter into Jesus' kingdom, all you have to do is to become like a child to lay down your power, to submit to your need for Jesus and his death and his resurrection, to lay down your power and serve others. It's that simple. But these leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, were actually making it more difficult for people to know God. They were adding to the law. They were adding to the requirements. They were creating distance between themselves and the people that they were supposed to lead. There were seven woes that Jesus said to these leaders, seven ways that he described like, hey, you're in trouble, you're in danger, you're putting your soul in danger, and I need to let you know about it. He's talking to these leaders in a harsh way to warn them and to, to in an in a angry way, call them to repentance. So the first thing that he says to them is that the first way that they make Jesus angry is that they shut the doors of the kingdom instead of creating pathways. The second way that they made Jesus angry is that they were producing bad fruit. The third way that they were making Jesus angry is that they made bad commitments and they required bad commitments of the people that they were leading. The fourth way is that they were exploiting the vulnerable. The fifth way that they made Jesus upset is that they were hoarding resources. The sixth way is that they were hypocritical in what they did and what they said. And the seventh way is that they killed the truth tellers. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I I got on uh, chat GPT this week. (laughs) And I had already turned in my notes, by the way. And I, I got on there and I was like, give me an outline for Matthew 23, 13 through 39. And it was like, verb, like almost verbatim to my notes. It was crazy. So if you're not using that yet, you have a nice little artificial intelligence pastor if you need it. <laughs> it's scary, honestly. All right, so the first thing that, that these leaders were doing that Jesus was upset about is that they were shutting doors to the kingdom instead of open up doors. In Matthew 23, 13 through 14, Jesus says to them, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. 
If you read Matthew chapter 5 and and Matthew uh, chapter 6, you see Jesus describing what it is to live in the kingdom, what it is to go into the kingdom, what it is to lay down your life and to lay down your power and what it is to trust Jesus and to live in and for the kingdom. And he's telling these people, you are shutting the door for people to come in. Jesus is like, I've made this thing simple for people to to know what salvation is, to live in the kingdom, and you're making it more complicated. You're making it so that people look at what you wear and how you act and how you pray, and they give you all this glory, and they give you all this trust, and they give you all this praise. Meanwhile, you're leading them away. He says, instead of creating pathways you're actually shutting the door to God's kingdom in people's faces. And we see this all the time in churches and in communities and from spiritual leaders. We don't want cultural hoops that people have to jump through just to become a part of the church. When people don't know all the songs, they might not dress like you, they might not smell like you, they might not come from your neighborhood, They might not come from your cultural background, but as believers, as leaders, we need to set up a pathway for people to know Jesus that is not encumbered and hindered by our own cultural ways. As a teacher, as a business leader, as a parent, we should be creating pathways for people to know God and to know his kingdom. Like the world that I'm, I got four kids. The world that my kids are growing up in is so different than the world I grew up in. And the pathway for them to know Jesus and some of the cultural things and some of the lessons that I learned are not applicable to their lives because they are coming from a whole different place. And I can't demand that they see the world through my eyes. I have to look and see the world through their eyes so that they can see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't slam doors in people's faces. We have to open up pathways for folks to know Jesus. The second thing that Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, verse 15, he says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Those are harsh words because there are spiritual leaders that under the guise of being holy and under the guise of being righteous and under the guise of a position, they will literally lead people away from God on purpose. That happens in our world today. That happens, it could be happening in this church through a Sunday school leader, through a youth group leader, even through a staff person. And many times it's hard to see and it's hard to connect. But my encouragement to you today is if you are one of those leaders, is that this message and Jesus' words are to call you to repent, to offer you his love, his forgiveness, and to take steps towards restoration. If you're holding on to how you look and how you appear and that people see you as a spiritual leader and yet you are leading people away and you are producing bad fruit, although this is a hard word, I encourage you, If you are doing things evil intentionally and you know it, repent today. 
The opportunity is today. If you run a business and there are things that you know you are doing that lack integrity, and you are actually helping your employees do things that lack integrity, today is a day to repent and to stop doing what you're doing and to stop helping other people recreate the evil that you're doing. The third thing that Jesus says is in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 17. He says, Woe to you, you blind guides, who say, Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? So what he's upset about is like people are taking these oaths and saying, well, you know, if it, if it has to do with the money and your oath is tied to the money, then it's a good oath. If it's just tied to the temple, then it's not a good oath. Where Jesus says, tells us clearly in Matthew 5, hey, I don't care about none of your oaths or your vows or anything. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he says, anything beyond that is evil. And that, that's, a, that's a struggle for me. Because I love saying yes to everything. Oh, yeah, I'll be there, and I'll come over there, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything beyond that is evil. That's how we vow. That's how we take oaths. That's how we make commitments is to let our yes be yes and our no be no. The fourth thing that Jesus gets at in Matthew 23 is in verse 23 through 24. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Many times we complicate things so much with church, with tithes, with offerings, the way we live our lives, when Jesus actually keeps things simple. I've been a chaplain. Um, I've been a college chaplain for football at Northwest Missouri State, at University of Illinois. I've been a chaplain with the Chiefs, just finished my sixth season. And as an athlete, as a former athlete, as a father, as a chaplain, you got to keep stuff simple. God does that for us in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, I've told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. If this is your first time in a church, if you've never been to church, if, you, if this is your first time coming to journey and you're like, man, what does it take for me to follow God? And what does it take for me to know God? God's like, I'm going to keep it simple for you. This is what's good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with God. It's that simple. Like, it's not about what you're given or how, or, or, or how you give things in the right way or if you're doing things exactly the way that you think the culture has told you to do it. It's, man, love, justice. Excuse, I'm, now I went into another version in my mind. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with God. It's that simple. The fifth thing that Jesus gets at is how leaders oftentimes will hoard resources. He says, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
He says, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may be also, may also become clean. Now, I got four kids, okay? So I know something about some dirty dishes, okay? You put stuff in the dishwasher, and then it says clean. You open it up, steam rises. You look at these dishes on the inside, and you still got spaghetti stuck to the bowl. <laughs> and it's like, baby, you know, baby, come here. This is how I talk. Baby, baby, come here. Hey, just, you know, the dishwasher is a miracle worker, but it's not going to take a whole bowl of spaghetti. And, and you know, we got to wipe this out first, okay? You got to get that dish and, like, get it somewhat clean. Don't ask, the, don't ask the dishwasher to do more than it is called to do. <laughs> and what Jesus is saying is, like, hey, you, you're, you're like a, like a, a dish, that all you care about is being clean on the outside. You look clean. You look great. But on the inside, you got some nastiness. And again, these Pharisees, they would wear these garments. They had the Word of God attached to their forehead, and they looked so spiritual. They acted so spiritual. But on the inside, Jesus was frustrated with who they were in their hearts and in their minds. As leaders, it's really easy to be that way, to seem to be a Christian, but you're really focused on greed and on self-indulgence. You're hoarding resources. When God says, hey, I want you to give it up. I want you to give your life away. I want you to give your finances away. I want you to engage with people who are hurting, who are helpless, who are left out. Make sure that your heart is clean and not just the way that you seem. The sixth thing in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of, are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This word hypocrisy is talking about wearing a mask and acting a part, acting a role, acting as if you are something that you are not. And many of us do this as Christians, as leaders, even in our neighborhood. So like, oh, I'll go to the cookout. I'll make sure I'm not holding a beer. I'll make sure, you know, that people see me, you know, going to church and they can tell that I'm kind of dressed up. And on Sundays I wake up, they see my car pull out of the driveway. I'm going, I'm, I seem to be doing the right things. But internally, the way that we speak to our families, the ways that we lead in our business, may not be lined up with what God calls us to do. There are people that seem to be great leaders. It's easy, honestly, as a, as a pastor, it's easy for people to look at me and it's like, oh, well, he knows the word. He's preaching the word. He must be a great husband. He must be a great father. He must be the standard of what I should be. And on a lot of days, even in my life personally, that's not true. If you came in my house and, like, listened to some of the things I said on some days, you can ask my kids, you can ask my wife, you'd be like, man, I don't want to be like that, Pastor. That's just true. That's just life. But many times we deify 
spiritual leaders. And it's more comfortable for us, and I've done this as well, it's more comfortable for us to look at a leader as something that we could never be or that we can't be, and we create that separation and let them be a leader that we're, like, trying to be. But really, a lot of times, it's just a mask. And God invites us to take off that mask in community and be real with people of who we are. This is where I struggle. This is where I'm hurting. This is where I have pain. This is where I'm sinning. This is where I'm messing up. And as pastors, like, we have to have that as well, a place where we can take off the pastor hat or coat or whatever it is we wear and just be a human, be a real person where we struggle and have weakness and warfare and waywardness in our lives. The last thing that Jesus went at these leaders about is in verses 29 through 32. He says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build, the, you build the tombs of the prophets, and you decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. Jesus goes on to say, so you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. He says, fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Man, all through the Old Testament, many of God's truth tellers were killed for telling the truth. These words that Jesus was sharing in Matthew 23 were what led him to his death because he was telling the truth. And all of us, we all do funny things with history. We look back on history and we say, oh, I would never be like those people. You know, like, I mean, I remember even as a kid, like growing up and reading about slavery and stuff. And I was always like, man, if I was a slave, I would just run away. It's like, then you really read the history and you really get to know it and you really understand how courageous and how dangerous it would have been to run away from slavery. And you're like, okay, maybe I wouldn't have. We look at World War II. We look at Nazi Germany. And we're like, man, I, I remember as a kid reading about it and just thinking like, why didn't they just like, you know, get on a plane or get on a boat and come to America? Or why didn't they just flee? And you start reading some of the politics and some of the intricacies of like, man, it would have been hard to get a visa. And like, you know, certain countries were only taking in so many refugees. And, you know, they couldn't really, it wasn't that easy to just escape. You know, we look at the disciples and like, you look at Thomas, like, oh, I would never doubt Jesus like that. We look at Peter, like, oh, I would never deny Jesus. I mean, Jesus did miracles right in front of him. It was so clear. Like, how how could he deny Jesus? How could Abraham, you know, disrespect God? How could God's people, when they escaped Egypt, how could they complain in the desert when God had just done all these miraculous things? And you look at your history, and you're like, oh, I would never do that. And Jesus is inviting these leaders, like, hey, look at your history, And he's saying, y'all would have been the ones that killed the prophets. That would have been y'all. You know, we look at, um, I look at Martin Luther King. And he was a peacemaker. And many times, the way that we kind of twist history, we'll kind of look at it like, 
man, you know, I wish people would be more like Martin Luther King. You know, he was a nonviolent protester, and he was, like, great, and he had these nice suits, and he, we have all his nice quotes. And we do the same thing with Jesus' words. We have all his nice quotes. But then, like, when you read the letter that he wrote to American churches from the Birmingham jail, all these churches that were resisting the changes that he desired, Christians that didn't want what Martin Luther King Jr. wanted. And yet now we'll look at them and say, oh, well, yeah, I would have, if I were a Christian back then in the 60s, I would have supported Martin Luther King Jr. when a lot of Christians didn't. So what it causes us to do is to not look at history and judge what other people would have done or what we would have done with history, but to look at our lives now. What are the challenging things that God is calling us to tell the truth to and to speak the truth to? What truth tellers should we be listening to, although we would rather condemn them for telling the truth? Where we want to keep things culturally copacetic, where we want to keep everything comfortable the way that we're used to things, when there might be some truth to what some people are saying. Even as a parent leading your kids, Sometimes your kids, although they might not be the most mature, they might not be as intelligent as you are, they might have some things to say to you as a parent that could really help your family, and they might have an opinion that you need to hear. As a leader of a business, there might be employees in your company that have some sharp critiques for your leadership. And are you the kind of person that smashes a truth teller, fires them, demotes them, strategically pushes them organizationally, you know, the org chart all of a sudden changes so you don't have to be in any meetings with them anymore because they're a truth teller. Jesus is is looking at these leaders and saying, hey, you're just like the people that were killing the prophets in the Old Testament. In Matthew 23, we see the kingdom is restored through repentance. Like Jesus always gives us a way out, always gives us an opportunity to get right. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often, listen to how beautiful and how tender this language is. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He says, but you were not willing. And that's God's word, even if you are a perpetrator of using power to exploit other people. Even if you're a perpetrator of spiritual abuse, God is still saying, hey, I want to get, like, just repent. I want to gather you. I want to be close to you. I want to know you. He says, but your house is left desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What he's given us as an example is he is a person who had power. 
And what he did with that power was he gave it up and made himself vulnerable so that he could help those who are vulnerable. That's what we do with our power. That's what we do with our lives. That's what we do with our leadership. All of us in some ways have power. All of us in some ways have leadership. Whether it's at your junior high, your high school, your college, in your home, in your church, in your business, we are called to be people who take our power and surrender it to help people who are vulnerable. That's what God calls us to do with our lives over and over and over. There are those of you who sit in this room and you have been hurt by the church, by a pastor, by your parents, by a family member. And God is calling you to be a courageous disruptor, a courageous truth teller, a person who can look somebody in the eye and tell them the truth. That might get you disinvited from Thanksgiving dinner. That might get you disinvited from a big project at work. But God is calling us to trust him enough to be courageous enough to use our power to tell the truth. There are others of you in this room that own a business, lead a family, lead in a, in a nonprofit or a church, and you know, even if it was 20, 30 years ago, five, five years ago, five days ago, you've used your words, you've used your actions, you've used your power, and you've wounded someone significantly. And you might have had reasons for it. They might not have acted the most mature. They might have been out of line in some ways. But you use your power to smash them. And the word that Jesus gives us is he longs to gather you to his heart and for you to repent and to receive his love. So that's what I'm praying for in this sermon is that if you've been hurt, that that today would either bring some more healing or be a start to some healing where you can trust God's heart, where you can actually trust God's angry anger that he's just as angry angry about that hurt as you are, that you would actually give yourself permission to be angry and to feel that pain and to allow Jesus to touch that thing in your heart and heal you. And for those of you who have hurt people, and I'm one of them, I've been in ministry for over 18 years, and there are people that I've had to go back to and I've had to apologize through tears and say, I was wrong. I hurt you. I was in a position of power and I exploited that power and I hurt you and I hurt your family and I was wrong and I'm sorry. For those of you in this room that have used your power in your family, in your business, in your church, in your ministry to hurt other people, I pray that today will be a day when you can repent. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, when he was preaching, he actually spoke to the crowd and said, this Jesus whom you crucified, he blamed them for it. And it says that after he preached the gospel to them, it says that their hearts were pierced. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, 
And you can hear the desperation in this. It says, brothers, what should we do? What do I do? It's like you find out you're wrong. It's like, oh, what do I do? What's, what's my next step? I know I'm wrong. What do I do? He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, even if you've hurt people. There's ways that God wants to use your leadership in your neighborhood, in your family, in your business, in your church. We, we sang a few minutes ago about revival. And revival comes when God's people start repenting. If you don't know who Jesus is, he is perfect. He lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. He died a death that we deserve to die so that we can be in relationship with God the Father. And for some of you, I pray that today is the day that maybe you believe that for the first time and you allow God to save your soul and you allow God to be your Lord and your master and your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that even though these are difficult words to hear, and to receive. God, I thank you that you desire to gather us just like a mother hen with her chicks. God, I pray that we would all come close to you today and receive your love and to receive forgiveness as we repent and as we draw close to you. Jesus, speak to our hearts. We love you and we need you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Marcellus. Let's put our hands together and thank Marcellus today. I hope for many of you it was um, impactful in your heart like it was to me as a spiritual leader, as a father, as a husband. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to be an example. And I think we're called every day to be an influence for Jesus, to let our light shine, let his light shine through us. And perhaps you're here today, as Marcellus said, and you have not begun that relationship with Jesus. If we could bow our heads, I want to give those in the room maybe an opportunity to do that, perhaps for the first time. So would you pray with me? If this is you today and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, you can pray a simple prayer from your heart to God. Something like this. Dear God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he died in my place for the forgiveness of my sins forgive me. Come into my life. I want to live for you. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my life to give me new life in Jesus. And help me to live for you. Help me to shine a light for you in a hurting world. And if you're here today and you need a moment to pray something like this, Father, I need you. Would you help me and forgive me for the hurt that I've caused. Lord, would you help me for the hurt that's happened to me? Would you heal my heart? Would you allow me to forgive? And would you begin to heal me? And Father, we thank you for speaking to every heart in this room today. Even the hearts that are closed, I pray their ears are open and one day their hearts would be open. And Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
In a moment, if you made a spiritual decision, I'll let you know how you can take some next steps to grow. Uh, there's going to be some questions. We'd like to put some reflection questions on the screen at the end of the service, a chance for you to kind of take what you've heard, what you've learned, and apply it to your heart. So as these questions go up, maybe have some prayer with God, asking him to speak to your heart and asking him to take some action steps in your life. I'll be back in three minutes after this. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you allow us to have influence for Jesus in the lives of others, where we would look like Jesus in how we act and how we love, Lord, that we would act justly, that we would love mercy, and that we would walk humbly with God. Would you help the people of Journey in this community be, be known like that so that when people see us, they, they see Jesus. They recognize their need for the love of God and for a Savior. 
And Father, as we disperse this summer all across the country, all across the world, Lord, in trips and outreach, Lord, would you use us for your glory? Would you help us to know that the Holy Spirit is with us and that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.